You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. Week seven was pretty darn crazy. Um, coming off after week six, all of the insane matchups that week, we thought, you know, maybe it'll be a step back, a little, a little more straightforward. It was anything but. There was a lot of insanity both on and off the field that we have to get into. Start on the field, the matchup of the day, Georgia, Kentucky, and Obviously, Georgia won comfortably. Uh, but the insane part of this game is the very end when the score is 30 to 7. The outcome of the game is not in doubt at all, but Georgia trying as hard as they possibly can to keep Kentucky out of the end zone. Kentucky ends up scoring. Georgia, of course, blocks the extra points. Um, and they like kind of carry that with them into the locker room post game. Just the mindset of this Georgia team, especially this Georgia defense is on a different level than pretty much everyone else in the country. Yeah, it reminds you of what you'd expect like a, a Nick Saban team to do. I personally would have preferred if Georgia had kept Kentucky out of the end zone. That was a, a tough beat, tough tough pill to swallow. But at the same time, I mean, they were dominant throughout. Will Levis had a really nice game statistically, but when you really break down and look at what he did, it wasn't very effective. Uh, 32 of 42, 192 yards of two touchdowns, 4.6 yards of completion. I mean, you're you're really not doing much, especially when you consider the run game picked up just 51 yards on a 1.9 yards per carry. Didn't break a single run over 10 yards. As we talked about, Kentucky has been fairly one-dimensional offensively this season, and that was in the running game. Really could not get that going whatsoever. As we've seen, for basically everyone that has played Georgia, this defense just dominates. And then offensively, I mean, Stetson Bennett really finding his groove, 250 yards, three touchdowns, and the run game, again, continuing to power the offense. You're just not going to win the battle at the line of scrimmage against Georgia. And yeah. that's tough when you are a team like Kentucky, whose offensive identity is based so much around the run game. Um like you could say Kentucky was one dimensional in this game the other direction, but still Levis not even passing for 200 yards, even with as many dropbacks as he was forced into just by how Georgia was playing Kentucky. Um, it's, it's really hard to call that much of a success, maybe for him personally, but in terms of Kentucky having hope to win this football game, not so much. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was, uh, this was the biggest challenger in the division presumably to this point for georgia um and as you've talked about for kentucky you know this is not a game anyone was expecting them to win one versus 11 you're a 23 point underdog that that doesn't happen all that often but now for kentucky still have a great chance to run the table and get that 11 and one season like a a near six bowl is still very very much in play yeah, 100%. And I think that's the takeaway you need to take from this is like Levis looked decent enough. And and if you can stretch the field a little more, which you're going to be able to do against, against just about any other team because you're not going to run for 51 yards on 27 carries against everybody. Uh, I think the offense has a lot of positives to take away from this. And like we've said, they've got a few playmakers and, and skill position guys that really haven't been utilized as well as they could. Defense, again, they looked fine. Like They're not going to be the calling card for this team. It's going to be running the football, controlling the clock. But 
if you can add an extra dimension or or even an, a little bit more confidence in your passing game, that's going to be huge. And I think they should take away some confidence in the passing game from this outcome against Georgia. Absolutely. We'll see if they're able to keep playing at the level they were prior to this game down the stretch. Um, elsewhere, the other ranked game, Texas, another blown lead against a ranked team from Oklahoma. Had some hope for a little bit in the Sark era, as we did uh, Tom Herman. and It's still very early, but back-to-back troubling results. kind of same old Texas feel. In this one, Oklahoma State knocks off Texas 32-24 after the Longhorns blew leads of 17-3 and 24-13. But I will offer Texas an out, potentially. In your mind, does this tell you more about Texas or more about Mike Gundy's Cowboys? Definitely about Oklahoma State. Um, Texas has now allowed 41 points in the fourth quarter in their last two games combined. Not, Not going to win many games when you do that. I think, uh, again, I, I think this really does show like the, the evolution of Mike Gundy's team, specifically this season. Like He had an identity, and his teams have had an identity, since he has been at Oklahoma State, and it is high-powered, fast-paced offense. And now we are seeing a change and an evolution to that that is predicated on strong defense and running the football, and that's what won them this game. Spencer Sanders, again, was average, I would say. He's probably better than he has been most of the year, but still not great or not to the level that we've seen him play before. Jalen Warren was phenomenal. 33 carries, 193 yards, just an absolute workhorse all day and really – helping get this team back into the ball game. And then again, defensively, opportunistic, forcing a couple turnovers and, and taking advantage of that. So to Texas's credit, I think this says more about Oklahoma State and their evolution and Mike Gundy's evolution, I guess, as a coach in a program. But if you are Texas, you got to be sitting there looking, saying we could and probably should be 6-1 and one right now. Yeah, and... And Warren was an absolute workhorse, uh, Belkow, in that backfield and more or less was matching Robinson, Texas. Didn't have the uh, all the touchdowns that Robinson did, added three more to his total. And, I mean, side note, Robinson is having a Heisman caliber season for a running back. It's just – it's going to be one of those things that I think there's a strong chance he gets overlooked because his team isn't very good. But on the other side of that coin – the equally cynical side of me says he plays at Texas. So even if they suck, he's probably going to get some recognition at some level. So hard to see which, which way we'll, we'll end up winning there. But uh, back to Jalen Warren, like there was uh, there's, there's been a very good streak of backs in Stillwater um, Mm -hmm. back to justice Hill, Shuba Hubbard. um, And now Jalen Warren being able to, take some of the pressure off Spencer Sanders because they don't have that high-flying aerial attack that Oklahoma State normally does uh, most years under Mike Gundy. It's a lot more about ball control and relying on that defense that is better than is typical of of pretty much anybody in the conference. So um, Texas able to figure things out early and then just lost all momentum, kind of knew Thompson would not have nearly as good a day as he did against Oklahoma because the Sooners are just atrocious defensively. Um, right. And that certainly rang true. A um, couple key picks from Oklahoma State defense. But, yeah, it's 
very demoralizing back-to-back weeks for Texas. Um, two games that, at the very least, you'd think you win one. Right. Um, like, sure, Oklahoma always has their number in the Red River rivalry, no matter what happens in that game. Get out to a 17-3 lead in this one, feeling comfortable. But, I mean, not quite as many offensive fireworks, but alarmingly similar scripts. 100%. And now, I like, it begs the question, Will Texas finish above 500? They don't have the easiest schedule. There are certainly wins in there. They're at Baylor, at Iowa State, home to Kansas, so that's a free win, at West Virginia, and then home against Kansas State. If they don't win, they need to win a road game. And it's very possible that they don't. I think they can get a win at West Virginia. I wouldn't be surprised to see them lose and lose comfortably against Taylor and Iowa state. They, Oh, oh man. I love this rabbit hole. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, they, they've got an extra week off to think about it, which makes it even more delicious. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, they're going to beat Kansas. I know it's happened before, um, but that was just a crazy outlier. Um, and I, I think they'll have Kansas state handled rather easily um, in the season finale, but am I going to pick them to go on the road and beat my Cyclones? I don't think so. Um, I Yeah, I think it'll uh, probably come down to the West Virginia game, um, but at minimum, this team's making a bowl. Um, yeah. There's, I, I think there's six wins in there, and even if not, I think we are going to see uh, some five-win teams go bowling this year. Um, I know they go off APR or whatever, but if Texas is five and seven, they're going to find a way to to play in a bowl game, um, unless they pull the "we're too good for that" card, which is equally possible. But um, I'm I'm not I'm not concerned about Texas finishing below five hundred at this point. But that yeah. would be hilarious. Just some food for thought as I looked at the schedule. Yeah. Speaking of more things that are hilarious, Iowa getting absolutely dominated at home to lose 24-7 to Purdue. Um, very, very strong game for David Bell, 240 receiving yards. Always seems to do this against Purdue. Um, Aiden O'Connell, of course. Quarterback had a strong game as well. Spencer Petras did not. Um, I mean, this this was just domination. Like, this was... Uh, 24 to 7 is a blowout in Iowa football terms. This is peak Iowa. And I've heard it from so many different people, so many Iowa grads, so many Iowa fans. This is quintessential peak Iowa. Really good throughout the season, win a couple big games, probably some that they maybe even shouldn't have won. And then they fall absolutely flat against a Purdue team who is played decently well this year, but they are certainly not anything to write home about um, in in regards to the season. And like you said, truly dominating fashion. I mean, dominating uh, time of possession, nearly double the offensive output in terms of yardage, uh, really forcing turnovers. It, it, every aspect of the game, Purdue won, and they won so handily. And it is fitting that this is how Iowa goes down. Yeah, it's very on brand for Purdue as well um, because they they always seem to have, you know, one or two games a season where they play out of their minds against a team that 
by all accounts, should be much better than them. We, of course, remember the famous Tyler Trent game uh, mm-hmm. where they just boat raced Ohio State. This one, Iowa, like no one was holding Iowa up on a pedestal to the same level they would an Ohio State team, but right. still have the number two next to the name. But if you're Iowa, this concludes an especially rough week um, because, you know, the aftermath of the Penn State game in which they were dominated when Clifford was in the lineup and then all of the postgame conversation that lasted through the entire goddamn week and will keep going, I think, a little bit because people are just so salty about Penn State faking injuries, which was obviously just BS and Penn State's biggest rival, Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi, even coming to James Franklin's defense, um, which should have ended things but didn't. But if you are if you're sitting there getting mad all week, screaming about how Penn State faked injuries in a game that you won, yeah. and there's an opportunity to, where you can just be celebrating. We're number two in the country. Like, let's appreciate this team for all of its good qualities. Instead, you're just trying to pick fights with strangers on the internet for perceived slights that didn't even happen. And then the follow up to that is laying an absolute egg against Purdue at home, like. I don't know if I'd go out in public. That's uh, that's pretty Tough. embarrassing. Yeah, I I would like to even add in what I talked about last week: storming the field after beating Penn State, only to get just boat raced by Purdue. I still don't mind that. I I I take issue I think with it the other to stuff, the optics but... is is more the point. But yeah, anyways, Challenging I think optics. there was yeah, I think there was a uh, stat. I I can't remember where I heard it, and it could be completely false, but. Purdue has the most wins over AP ranked number two teams. I want to uh, say top two, top two teams. Yeah, okay, they've got that, that is astounding. But that's that's kind of the point. Like they'll have yeah. these games, um, and they're they're a weird team this year. I think they uh, not unlike Iowa last year. I think in that they kind of like they're a solid team, but they really fell off the radar very early in the season, um, and they've been you know, kind of solid. Like they had the loss to, to Notre Dame, which I feel like was more about Notre Dame, you know, proving they could beat a decent power five team without it being super, super dramatic. Um, And then dropping the game against Minnesota, I think really tanked a lot of people's opinions of them. It's not pretty. It's, it's it's very big 10 West. That is the thing that I think, stylistically all of these teams in the West have in common for the most part. Uh, It's very, very rare. And I would love to see somebody like a Mike Leach disciple, just take over someone in the West and and just blow everybody's mind. Um, But (laughs) we're stuck with these 13 to nine Purdue, Illinois games. um, And, you know, not, not a lot of respect nationally. And, you know, Iowa fans complain that, no one takes them seriously with the number two next to their name. This is kind of why, uh, for better or worse, this is just, you know, when you play this style of football, these games happen. Um, and, right. you know, overly reliant on the defense, sometimes your offense just isn't going to get enough going um, for a strong defensive performance to even matter. Um, but like you said, Purdue is able to really attack Iowa's secondary better than anyone's been able to all year. Um mm-hmm. And I mean, David Bell is one of the best receivers in the conference for a reason. Purdue churning out receivers. Who to thunk? Yeah, um, it's it, it was a big day for a lot of 
our friends. Bo Nix, what a day. What a day for Bo. Um, I, I, game of the season for him. Um, the 38-23 upset of Arkansas. Arkansas is slowly but surely falling back down to earth. But Bo Nix, your thoughts? Uh, you know, it's still... It's still Bo Nix, but he he did get the win that I I certainly did not anticipate and and did so in pretty good fashion for for him and it's it's a win he desperately needed I think but uh you know talk, talking to a lot of Auburn grads on Saturday at, at the the wedding I was at they all are very skeptical that Bo Nix will keep this going week over week so it's good to see that they are not. Um, not swayed, I guess is the right word, by tiger tinted glasses and and bonix tinted glasses. But this is the this is like we talked about. Uh, this is the kind of performance we kind of expected and have been expecting from bonix for a long time. He comes on the scene hot, cools off a bit, and then every few weeks gives you one of these games where you think, all right, maybe he's putting it together. Maybe this is it, where everything starts to click. And all of a sudden, he is, you know, the consistent and competent, capable quarterback that we expected. Yeah, I mean, expecting this week over week at this point, I feel like is crazy talk. But yeah. um, that's that's part of the fun. That's what you sign up for. It's a roller coaster. Um, this was, by by his standards and by, I'd say, pretty much any quarterback standards, very, very efficient football um, and still a threat in the run game as well. Um, and, and Arkansas has been a solid defense for the better part of this season. So again, it's not, not doing this against Ole Miss. I feel like always ups the impressiveness uh, a point or two, but yeah, it's uh, it's my big takeaway. It's it a big, big moment for Bo Nix. He's, he's been through the ringer, um, you know, in terms of burden of expectations. And also as we keep talking about just the, revolving door of coordinators and uh, quarterback coaches he's had to deal with. Um, but just another another person who seems to be improving with the absence of Chad Morris. So once again, color me shocked. <laughs> another feather in Bo Nix's cap. He's yeah. got a very interesting cap. Uh, so elsewhere we've got uh Pac-12 is is still crazy and Charlie Brewerless Utah is really really rounding into form and look like they could still be a potential Pac-12 winning team um just dominant second half against Arizona State holding the Sun Devils to under 100 yards and winning that one 35-21 you were all over this um, in the the mountain trip for for football teams could be just as difficult as it is for basketball teams every year. Um, were you expecting kind of this dominant of a performance in that second half? Definitely not. I, I figured it would be like a sluggish start, exact opposite, like a hot first half for Utah. And maybe they fade down the stretch and Arizona State kind of comes into the game. Certainly did not anticipate the 21-7 halftime lead and then 28 unanswered in the second half to uh, to close it out and get the win. But Cameron Rising, great name and uh, certainly 
lived up to his last name in terms of performance in that second half. And then Tavion Thomas continues to run the ball really well for Utah in the backfield. Yeah, so the the Pac-12 race is going to be interesting. They are hanging on for dear life in playoff hopes, as seem to be every season. Um, I think Oregon's got one more disappointing loss in them. As, as you kind of saw, they uh, they let a very clearly inferior Cal team hang around Friday night. Um, so they're just waiting um, to to pick their spots and when that'll happen. But for now. They're still alive. Utah is very much alive in the Pac-12 South. Um, that's their third straight conference victory. Um, so something to keep an eye on down the stretch. Uh, got a couple games in the SEC from last week I would like to talk about. Um, start at Rocky Top. A um, couple, couple major things from this game. Uh, well, a few. First of all, Lane Kiffin returns. Yep. Um, Knoxville's favorite son. And he heard about it all night. Um, Ole Miss ends up winning the game, um, but not without, over the course of the game, lots of uh, objects of various shapes and sizes finding their way onto the field um, from Tennessee fans that were upset over a number of things. Um, certainly officiating was high on that list. Um, several calls didn't go the Vols way that people were upset about, but um, still still very, very, very tough scene for Rocky Top as a whole. Um, just looking, watching that game on TV and seeing them, the game literally be stopped at one point um, over all the shit that was flying on the field. Yeah, we had things from a golf ball to a a mustard bottle on the field at, at the end of this game or near the end of this game. I tweeted it out. You know, I'm a ball for life. I was given that designation by my Uber driver down in Knoxville, and I'm going to wear that as a badge until I die. But this was a pretty ugly, pretty sad sight. Neyland is probably the coolest college stadium I've ever been to. Not that I've been to a ton, but the atmosphere there was electric, and that was for a – decent at best Tennessee team playing a pretty poor Mississippi State team. Um, I can only imagine what the energy and emotion was like there for Lane Kiffin's return. But at the same time, it's college athletes. You got to keep your head. These are 18 to 22 year old kids. You can be mad at what Lane Kiffin did, but that was 12 years ago. Like we need to move on (laughs) as a program, as a society. This is just too long to be holding that kind of hatred and so much so that you feel the need to physically throw objects at other humans. Like it's, it's low emotional intelligence. It's low standard of bearing. It's, it's not what you'd expect from a program like Tennessee. And it's unfortunate to see. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty embarrassing, but like, that's, that's the serious part, but yeah, I, I, there's. I always have to find humor in these things, and thank God, volunteer crazies exist on Al Gore's internet still. So um, there was there was a big, obviously, backlash from a uh, uh, blue checks and, and basically anyone with eyes is like, all right, let's everybody right. settle down here, um, so you don't like ruin alcohol sales also for mm-hmm. <laughs> stadium and uh, and elsewhere, but. 
there was one you never want to be the main character on Twitter, and this guy was for a little bit. <laughs> um, he looks like he is a uh, a radio play-by-play person or personality. Um, so his name is Brian Rice, and he was quote-tweeting Pat Forty, um, national writer, just expressing his disappointment and how this was embarrassing for Tennessee fans. Um and there, there's a there's a huge Twitter thread about how he's upset about, you know, a couple fans, you know, being crazy aren't representative of the entire fan base, and that's true. You can say that, you can be correct, and you can uh, you can be done. But of course, we wouldn't stop there because it's college Never. football. Everyone has to act insane all the time. Um, so the the last tweet in his thread. It's a small thing, Pat Forty, and you won't care, but you're banned from our radio station in Knoxville, and I will literally fight anybody on our staff who tries to have you on. You are not welcome here. Tennessee fans have had enough of people like you. Which is a great to prove your point. Like, we're not like that at all, but at the same time, I will literally fight people at my place of work <laughs> to avoid <laughs> interacting with you. Um, so really, really just all in all, not... Not a good Saturday for Tennessee fans. Um, but if anything, I think kind of the, the blow up in the aftermath did take a lot of the heat off of uh, Joe Milton, where yeah. it probably should have been. Yeah. Uh, the hope is that Hendon Hooker is okay. He had another pretty solid game. He's been really rounding into form of late. He obviously went off, limped off with an injury late in that game or was helped off. I don't even know if he put weight on his leg, but... Joe Milton comes in, has a couple of plays to try and work some magic and actually just runs out the clock, which was something that I did not anticipate to see. You're standing on the sideline, always, always be ready. And then you've got the incredibly long pause to get yourself in the mindset of, I have a few plays to win this game. And Tennessee had a chance to win the game and just does, does not even take a chance. And that that's like... I don't know, like the internet a couple years ago just memed the hell out of that um, side by side with LeBron refusing to take big shots at the end of games. But like th- this is much, much closer than Hail Mary distance. Um, there is literally no time on the clock. It's far enough away that there is zero chance that you will be able to run and make it in the end zone. At least give yourself an opportunity, throw the ball to the end zone if one of your teammates isn't wide open, maybe they will come up with it, but at least you have to give yourself a chance. You can't just run out of bounds, be like, yay, picked up the first down when the clock's showing all zeros. That's that's not good. At least he didn't give the first down, Mark. Like yeah. that would have been a real tough <laughs> move. But you're at the 21. Like you you coaches should be in your ear saying, Hey, this is option one, this is option two. At at the least. Everyone's going to be heading to this spot in the end zone. That's where you need to throw it. Clearly did not yeah. happen, or Milton misread the play and, and runs out of bounds. Um, tough tough way to end it, but it almost felt like a poetic way to end it after everything that had transpired just minutes before. Yeah, just trying to pack up and go home, I guess. Um, but yeah, right. that's like, very least, throw the football. Like, that's... That's not asking too much. Yeah. And credit to Lane 
kept keeping a cool head for the most part and uh, only taking a few shots at Tennessee fans while also Odell Beckham catching a water bottle that was tossed at him on his way out. Yeah, he got uh, he got some memes out there. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's really all he could have wanted. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, and what is an interesting game every season? LSU Florida. LSU knocking off the top twenty Gators, forty nine forty two, and very quickly we find out that. Coach O at Orgeron is not going to come back next season. It's going to play out this season, which is probably going to be a little weird. Um, but one of those uh, mutual agreeing to part ways and LSU football will enter a new era. Um, less than two seasons after winning the national championship. And again, been saying like Gene Chizik parallels to a T, um, but the unfortunate thing at this point for Coach O is that technically Chizik was able to hold on to his job longer after the national championship game. Um, Coach O will get to play out the season, but um, that is that is not someone whose company you would like to be in for sure. No, you you don't. You know, Gene Chizik is Gene Chizik. We I, I talked about him as well this weekend, but. Uh, He's a, he's a studio analyst now. <laughs> like that is that is what you need to say, and that is what he does, and that's who he is. He's not a football coach at this point in time, and that is, I don't think Coach O has the personality for TV. So now he's really got to sit back and figure out some things. A lot of stories coming out as well, which seem to make it and indicate it's going to be harder and harder for him to pick up another job, or at least not right away. Um. So very weird move in general, very interesting that the university is has figured out a way to mutually terminate the contract when it seems like there have been plenty of things that he has done that could and should be for a cause. Um, and they're, and they're going to pay out his full contract. So it's, it's something I, I'm not totally sure how to feel about it yet. I think we'll, we'll be learning more and more as the weeks go on throughout this season, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on at this point. Yeah, and LSU just really trying to get out ahead of uh, potential dead cat bounce. Like, all right, you had one good week against Florida, but right, we we know what kind of coach Coach O is. Like, 2019 was a phenomenal season, amazing, very good, but the vast, vast majority of his LSU tenure was pretty good. Um, but then you had a lot of instances like the lost Detroit and enough things that like kept pulling LSU backwards. Um, and the last couple of years, just inability to get anything going defensively. Like people talk about um, the loss of Joe Brady and how that's affected LSU. The loss of Dave Aranda has been massive um, and just night and day between where that program was and where they are now and conversely how well Baylor is doing ahead of schedule um, yeah. under Aranda's watch is, is noteworthy as well. Um, I mean, he, he had an all-star coaching staff underneath him in 2019 as well. That certainly helped, but yeah, like he's generally great as an interim coach um, when he has to actually run a program, you know, for multiple seasons, that's when 
starts to uh, have some issues. And now he's technically an interim coach. So yeah, if LSU beats Bama this year, I will laugh uproariously. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's probably for the best for LSU, but like only in the SEC could this happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's uh, it makes it interesting to see who they go for next because seemingly you're going to want someone who's pretty different from Coach O at this point. And uh, it's not necessarily the hardest thing to find, but at the same time, it needs to balance out with who is who are the hot names out there and who actually kind of fits the mold of what you're trying to do. Yeah, also, like, kind of following up with... Uh... You know, Les Miles didn't exactly end his uh, LSU tenure on the yeah holiest of grounds. Um, so certainly want to make sure and somebody who is on the up and up. Um, or now seeing seeing a good amount of mentions of you know the the usual suspects. Anytime a big job opens. Your Matt Campbell's, your James Franklin's, your Luke Fickles. Um, saw Jimbo's name get thrown out there. So I don't, did I. I don't think I would want him. Um, no. Certainly to pay the buyout that you'd have to um, to mm-hmm. get him. It's like for, okay, one win over Alabama. Congrats. Coach O has done that. Um, yeah, but that, like tough break for USC because um, this is the job now. Um, yeah. You got to uh, – you you can't pull an Auburn hiring Gene Chizik by getting someone who went five and nineteen at their previous school. You are going to get uh, the cream of the crop, and there are very few coaches who would not take the call. Um, kind of similar to what you're we saying about USC earlier in the season when Clay Helton was dismissed, but even more so. Um, like this is very fertile recruiting grounds. There's no in-state competition, um, and that's part of the issue with coach O as well is the roster is loaded. The roster is continued to be loaded, just not mm-hmm. getting anything out of it. So the talent is always going to be there. Um, LSU can really sell itself for the most part, but um, yeah, it's uh, going to be a big change um, and very, very interesting to see what direction the school ends up going here. And it can't be understated. Like we are two years removed from a national title. Like, this is less than insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, uh so I mean Joe Brady also on that list. Like there's yeah, I'd say a strong chance he gets a call, um, to gauge his interest because yeah, that's the that's the one thing potentially that could kind of bridge the gap um and keep all of the good vibes going. Like, hey, remember that one time we just sunned everyone in college football? With our 50 points per game offense. We should do um, that so that's, I mean, that's how you win the the press conference for sure. Yeah. But um, longer term, we'll see. Um, seen some mentions of Tell Mucker too, and I, I don't love that. That's like, something. That's <laughs> very, very strong recency bias. Um, like all of the guys I've mentioned prior, um, much stronger track record as head coaches. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting one um oh well uh all right so week eight 
looking ahead, there are zero ranked matchups, which is crazy. The uh, big nude Saturday is Northwestern Michigan. Everybody's Huge favorite. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the moon scoreboard graphic will always be my favorite. Um, <laughs> zero, zero on that. But we will not be talking about that because we don't want to, you know, make anyone's eyes or ears bleed. Uh, so game day is going to be Oregon at UCLA. Um, it's not a terrible matchup, so might as well talk about it. Um, lieu of some of the other very strong chances of being blowouts. Um, Oregon, like we said, struggled to put away Cal last week. Um, only ended up winning that one by seven. Um, UCLA has been in and out of the polls. They are receiving votes at this point, um, but still very much alive in the Pac-12 South. Which way are you leaning here? This is an interesting one because there are huge Pac-12 title implications in this game. Uh, Oregon, with a loss, would fall to 2-2 two and two in conference. Teams right on their heels, hot on their heels. Oregon State at 2-1 and one, and Washington State at 3-2. and two. Uh, Really just interesting all around. And then uh, UCLA trying to keep pace with Utah and Arizona State. I'm going to take Oregon. I'm going to do so begrudgingly because, as you mentioned, they were really unimpressive on Friday night against a bad Cal team who has scored just 47 points on the season. Um, they it, it comes down to the fact that I think it's put up or shut up time, and this is where they need to get going. They've got a bit of a tougher finish with uh, road games at Washington, UCLA, and Utah down the stretch. They can't afford to slip up at this point, and especially if they want a chance at the playoff, which I think should be just about done, but you never know at this point. UCLA, like I said, playing for a Pac-12 title, but I'm not – I've never been convinced – or I haven't been convinced this season that UCLA is a good team. Oregon has at least shown me that they can be a good team. I don't know. I, I think you might have been convinced after the LSU game. Um but uh, as as were many, but um, they they can be fun is kind of where I'm at. Like, yeah, Zach Charbonnet can be very fun. Um, Chip Kelly has shown some flashes of of fun, um, and they're they're still right there at the top. Like they're a half game behind Utah, um, right there with Arizona State. Like USC just left for dead at this point. Um, so those three teams are basically battling for <sighs> Oregon or Oregon State tied at the top of the North. Um, the yeah. North is just a shit show. Yes, it is. Shout out Stanford. Um, yeah, just chaos. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be Oregon. I think Oregon was very much overlooking Cal last week, um, kind of got sucked into an ugly game more the type that uh, Justin Wilcox likes to play, but I I don't see that happening two weeks in a row, especially with game day there. Um, be a little extra juice to this one. And UCLA will have the motivation to like fully be back uh, because I think at this point, everyone understands LSU is extremely fraudulent and that doesn't mean as much as it did at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I think Oregon's going to win um, a little closer than expected game. I think, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, no one's going to win this game in a blowout. I just can't see it happening either way. Never say never. Um, all right. That is, that is it for look ahead at week eight. Um, we will be back later in the week for week eight of spread option um, and all of the potential winners there within. Um, we will be back with this show next week. Probably going to be starting to talk a little bit about uh, college basketball as well, which is another sport that we hold near and dear to our hearts. So look forward to that, but we will uh, see you next week for this.